What's up? My name is Alex Terranova. I am the host of the Dream Mason podcast. Welcome. We started this in 2017 because we wanted to highlight the journey of Dream Masons. There's a Dream Mason in all of us. A Dream Mason is someone who is awake to their dreams and driven by the passion, the purpose, and the desire to turn that dream into reality. We interview athletes, gold medalists, Super Bowl champions, artists, creatives, eight, nine-figure entrepreneurs, spiritual leaders, and everyone in between. And sometimes we even walk them through challenges that they're currently facing. So depending on whether you're catching this as a regular interview or a playing with problems segment, there is something for you, whether you're at the peak of your journey, at the low point of your journey. I look forward to having you join me on this journey. And I hope that this show helps you unleash your inner Dream Mason. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. I am super excited for this episode because we're going to get to do something a little different. Uh, about a month ago-ish, I went on a men's retreat. So let me give you a little backstory. Probably a month or so before that, I was uh, co-hosting a podcast on The Coaching Show. It was actually my last podcast as the host of that show that I'd done for two or three years. And our guest was somebody I'd never heard of. And he shows up and I like look at his bio before we jump on. And I'm kind of like, all right, this looks interesting. He, he owns a tech company. He does some men's work. Um, and we jump into this episode and I think, and he, know, he knows all this. I, I haven't, I've told him some of this before. And we jump in and I think Christopher McCullough, one of my mentors, is sort of trying to bait me into like disagreeing with him as he pulls men's work information out of him. And as I'm listening to him talk about men's work and the work he does with men and his beliefs about men in the world, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I agree with everything this guy is saying, and I feel like he's saying it better than I can say it. <laughs> and that just had me feel very connected and, and have respect for him and what he was up to. And he shared in this conversation that he had a men's retreat. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you may remember I created a men's retreat because I couldn't find a men's retreat that I actually wanted to go to. Yeah, and that doesn't mean they didn't exist. I just couldn't find them. And this man was the first person talking about men's work in a way that I was like, I want to go to this retreat. And who would I be if I don't put myself in the work that I'm asking other men to put themselves in? So after that podcast, I think within, you know, 24, 48 hours, I got myself signed up for the next retreat, which was the day after my with 41st birthday in January. I flew out to Austin uh, without anyone I knew, which felt a little like weird uh, and went to this men's retreat, probably about 15, I don't know how many guys, 10 to 15 guys there. And uh, the man you're going to meet in a minute was hosted it by himself, which that in itself was really impressive. And over the course of the weekend, first of all, I had an incredible experience. I got to do work on myself that I had already done at deeper levels. I got to do new work on myself. I got to experience work with other men uh, in new and different ways. I got to connect with men that I probably never would have connected with, uh, which was some of the best parts of the weekend. And I've been able to continue to connect with those men. And I got to experience a new and different level of leadership, which I think is so important if you're, if you're going to be a leader in the world, how can you powerfully lead if you don't experience other powerful leaders and help them take from them and collaborate with them? And, I, and that was one of the best parts of the retreat was getting to see extraordinary leadership. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit about uh, our guest. His name is Andrew Horn. He is the co-founder of Tribute. Tribute, uh, I'm going to just describe it to you because I think it's really cool. On my 40th birthday, my fiance opened up her computer and was like, I want to show you a video. She hit play. And some of you listening or watching this know exactly what this is. And like every person who loves me and all my friends started popping up, wishing me birthday wishes and happy 40th and all these things. And it was cut together and, and, and beautifully created. Tribute is the company that that created this. Um, and I've actually been on other people's. So you can visit tribute.co and check that out. It's awesome. He's the co-founder of Tribute. He is also a leadership coach. He is the founder of Junto, which is the retreat I went on. He's a, I'm just going to say a master at men's work. And he is the author of a book that's coming out called Social Flow. Andrew, 
Thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me, brother. It's always uh, so nice to connect with other people in a, a similar space that, that, you know, oftentimes I think you could think of as competitive, but through the lens of collaboration. And you said that so beautifully when we first chatted that, you know, it's so nice for people to be approaching men's work from all these different angles and just to be able to connect and uh, really just establish that we're all headed in the same direction. Right. It's like we're all here to help men evolve and serve and grow in ways that are beneficial to themselves and society. So thank you for the kind words. And I'm excited to dive in today. You know, you gave that experience actually was a was a huge breakthrough for me in my life, because most of the time I would have brought some sort of competitiveness to the like, oh, fuck, this guy's doing the same thing as me. I got to find the ways that we do it better. Right. Like I, I would have had to like squash you, size you up and squash you down. And that's a pretty typical male, you know, I want to say dated male paradigm or belief system. And for whatever reason, maybe the work I've done, like I didn't have that experience. I was like, kept being blown away by how much I was getting from you and how much energy I felt like I was getting to experience in a, in a, in an expansive way. And when I was at the retreat, while I could see like, oh, he does it this way. I do it this way. He does right. Like there were things and there were some things like, I was like, oh my God, I want to do it that way. Right. Like. I really felt this genuine, this is so good. What I'm actually getting is affirmation that I'm on the right path. That was, which was so much more energizing and exciting than being like, why am I better than this guy? And why am I doing it better than this guy? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we start every one of our Junto retreats with the same introduction. So when all of our guys introduce themselves, I basically have them say their name, where they're from. And then they say the words, and I'm not here to compete. And it's just a reminder that we have this subconscious impulse to size up, up the other men in the room based off attractiveness, perceived levels of success, intelligence. And it's a mechanism of survival. It's that we want to belong. And so that competitiveness, like establishing ourselves as the alpha, someone who has value to deliver, to differentiate ourselves from others, it's natural to go to that place. But oftentimes it's really unproductive to establishing meaningful relationships and connection and learning from one another. So. I think it's so valuable to speak explicitly to that competitiveness that so often can arise yeah. in male environments, male groups. And this is a great example of, of why. Yeah, you were really intentional about, I want to say, every single thing that you did, which, <laughs> which, seems, which seems like a no-brainer, but I don't actually believe that that's how it always works when people are creating things. But, yeah. you know, that little piece... I noticed for me, there were a few moments where, right, you, there's a natural sizing people up, right? There's a natural, my brain is doing what my brain does, even though I'm like not there to judge these other guys. But there were moments where I had, didn't even realize I was creating stories about the other guys. And then sure. I found out the truth about the other guys. And my yeah. mind was blown, which is a beautiful reminder of, all the judgment, all the criticism, all the assessing our brain is doing in the background, right? To your, to, to what you said before, just in a very natural way, it's not, it's a survival instinct and okay. how wrong it is so much of the time and how that keeps me from friendships. It keeps me from yeah. network, like powerful connections. It keeps me from love. That was one yeah, of the biggest I mean, experiences. I think that's a, that's a huge part of the retreat and what we try to provide the experience of, which is ultimately coming out of our stories about the world, how it works and who people are and coming back into reality and what we truly know. And what we know is really our experience. And we talk about that with the social flow principles of intentionality, curiosity, authenticity, and presence. Um, but the more that we're able to focus on what's real, what we can know, the more power we have available to us in every single moment and the more that we're able to just come into connection with reality and life itself. And it's a much better way to exist in my opinion. Tell me, so for, for people listening, since I know, cause I was there, will you describe, yeah. let's actually describe before we describe Junto, would you describe, uh, how do you, how do you describe men's work? If I had no idea what we were talking about and men's it's like, how do you tell or explain what men's work is? Yeah, totally. So I think that um, this is something that was really fascinating to me when I was starting my own men's work journey was 
the most common question I would receive from men, from partners, was what is men's work? Why does it need to happen in a male-only container? And so ultimately, the, the wide definition of men's work is I define men's work as personal development work that is done in a male-only container. The work that can be done within that male-only container is incredibly diverse. It can be shadow work. It can be shame work. It can be work on purpose and identity, uh, legacy, like you name it. The, the possibilities are endless, but it is personal development work that is done within a male-only context. And a simple way to frame this is really to provide the historical context of when modern men's work first emerged culturally. And so in the 1960s, uh, second wave feminism was having a very big and important moment culturally. So what was happening is that women were vying for equal representation economically in the workplace. And this was something that you and I both agree, most people do now, that needed to happen. It was good for women to have equal representation in professional roles and, and you know, uh, legislative roles as well. And so as this was happening, there had been such a rigid paradigm of male-female responsibilities within society. Male, males were those who were providing, they were working, and females were those who were nurturing. They were, uh, or sorry, they were, they were kind of nurturers. And so what happened when there was this shift and women started to find more, uh, kind of more of a role in the workforce is that there is a shifting identity for men and what their role and identity was supposed to be. And around this time, there's uh, a lot of people, Robert Greene, Warren Farrell, who were really vying for the importance of a movement that would allow men to shift with this shifting tide culturally of what is the new role of men? What does it mean to be a man when their role was, was very specifically changing uh, culturally? And so that's where you started to get things like the Mankind Project. And the Mankind Project was one of the first organizations that was providing ritual rites of passage that allowed men to step more deeply into masculinity in modern times. And you had books like Iron John, Seminal Works, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, that started to synthesize some of the better questions and work that was being done to help men inspect and evolve their identity and understanding of what it meant to be a man. But ultimately, it was because of this really important and massive shift culturally about the, the roles of men and women in society. And so that's really where it started. And I think that there's a, a real parallel to something that happened in our time, which is that um, if you look back to the beginning of the Me Too movement, I think that there was a really important awakening for uh, everybody, but men specifically about the harm that so many men had been causing and bringing to women, whether consciously and explicitly or unconsciously, and it brought about a similar question about what does it mean to be a man? Like, what are the aspects of being a man that if we want to call it toxic, if we want to call it unproductive, we're pervasive in society and that we were not talking about. And so there, there began this movement around questioning masculinity in, like on scale, similar to what was happening in the 1960s. And you had so many famous people and groups that started to emerge to really facilitate this inquiry of what does it mean to be a, a productive and healthy man in the world today? And so that's why I think you've seen such a resurgence of men's work in all of its iterations is because there's a lot of people who are asking that question of what is a healthy masculinity? What is toxic masculinity? And ultimately realizing that we're also existing in a time where social isolation for men is at rates that have never been seen before. You have more than 50% of millennial men who say that they identify as lonely on a month to month basis. And so it really is, is that when people don't have uh, meaningful relationships in their lives, like they're so much more prone to antisocial destructive behaviors, whether that's addiction, whether that's extremism. And so the need for spaces to not only do this work, but simply to connect with other people in meaningful work has become really essential for the thriving of the individual as well as society as a whole. That's really well said. Um, there's so much. I uh, One of the things I wanted to like jump in on this is I, I feel like at the same time, while we have a lot of people wanting to, to, to kind of 
create more productivity, create more connection, more collaboration, to heal, to evolve, uh, it yeah. does the opposite too. There's a backlash, right? And we see, I think we see a backlash in our society of men that are trying to anchor into the old ways of being. Like, that's what they know. That's what feels safe. And there's voices out there arguing for that also, that it's like, no, men's, men haven't changed. Men shouldn't change. Everyone else changed. And I, I think it's a, it's a really, the two time periods are actually so similar. The 60s, the now, right? There's like racial things. There's this, the, the, the gender. There's actually even space race, right? Like they did in different ways. <laughs> there's lots of, sure. um, but I, I think it's so, cause that's what I'm, that's what I'm noticing is the two, the, the two polarities of it, of this idea, this opportunity to evolve and this opportunity to stay the same. Do you have any, do you, is there, do you have anything around? Like, do you see any of that? Do you have any the sense of that? Do you ignore that? Like, where are you at in that? Well, I think that if you, if you look historically, there's always been resistance to social progressive change, right? It's, there are people who will stake their flag in the ground about classical values. And I think that, again, if you just look through the historical context at the people who stood for those historical values from slavery to segregation to uh, keeping women out of the workforce, it's that, you know, typically those who are on the side of equity, of justice, equality for all people have been on the right side. And so I think that it's natural to face resistance. And so, you know, even this evolution of the definition of, uh, of a man, I think that you know, oftentimes there's just not people who are articulating this evolved masculine in a way that can connect with both the uh, coastal tech bro who's in San Francisco in New York and going to the Pasanas and, you know, the factory worker in Oklahoma who wants to go out and hunt and watch football. And it's interesting and it's really important to I think break down masculinity in a way where we can show that so much of what we're trying to do and the manifestations of that are really similar. And that so many of the values that whether you are a conservative, whether you're a progressive, that fundamentally as people, that what we're all aspiring to from a values perspective are the same and showing people kind of what those are collectively and individually, giving them space to do that is is really crucial to to help this movement to find firmer footing and Invisibility. What do you, what do you think it evolved? Actually, let me say, let me ask this different. If, if you were to succeed, yeah. you know, you were to succeed, I were to succeed, like many men doing similar work, what would men look like? What would an evolved man look like to you? Like what, what's like the vision? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that there's also an important piece of context in terms of the work that we do and so much of what I think is needed in society. Um, so when I talk about the Junto experiences and, and what you came through with us, um, we oftentimes refer to them as, as a rite of a modern rite of passage. And so throughout history, rites of passage have been these very important um, experiences that facilitated the growth of individuals within a community. And if you look at the etymology of that word, like what a rite of passage is, is it's an experience that facilitates a shift in uh, social standing and responsibility in a community. And if you think about all the way back to tribal communities where there were very specific roles for men and women, whatever those might be, it's, you had rites of passage that were very, very clear that facilitated a shift from say a boy to a man. And what happened when you became a man is you had very specific responsibilities and it was important that you fulfilled those responsibilities for the thriving of the whole. And so rites of passage were really important for defining what that new identity and responsibilities were, because what's really important to understand in all of this is that the fundamental driver of human behavior is not our strategies, it's not our tactics, it's our identity, it's who we think we are. And so our masculinity, our sense of what it means to be a man, that is just one piece of our identity. But why this matters at all, the question is because our understanding of who we are is going to be the greatest driver of our behavior. And so whatever we think it means to be a man, our behavior is going to flow naturally out of that. 
And so if we have a rigid understanding of what it means to be a man and men aren't vulnerable and men don't ask for help and men don't cry and we just hold all that in until it fucking explodes and we do something that's awful for ourselves or our families or at our job. Uh, so it's, it's developing a, a, a healthy understanding of what it means to be a man is really important. And throughout history, again, the role of man and what it meant to be a man was very rigid. It was correlated with these values of providing and protecting. And that meant in tribal communities, it meant that you were out on the hunt and you were physically providing safety. And then in more modern times, it meant that you were providing and protecting by uh, providing financial and economic support. And what I would say is that now in a world where there is much more equality and you have over 50% of households with a female primary breadwinner, you know, what it means to be a, an evolved man, that there is less of a need for an overarching group or community to tell you what it means to be an evolved man. A modern rite of passage and what an evolved man is, we need experiences that allow men to define on their own terms what that means. Because I firmly believe that I cannot tell you or any person what it means to be a man. No one can. Because masculinity is an inherently subjective term. Masculinity is a collection of the traits, characteristics, and values that we associate with the experience of a man, right? It's, it's subjective. But what I do believe is that if we provide spaces for men on an individual basis to ask themselves big questions about what have I made it mean to be a man? What are the characteristics that I associate with the positive masculine, the negative masculine, the positive feminine? The negative feminine, what are the values that I associate with myself as a human that I aspire to? What's my legacy? What will I be remembered for? Is, is that if we create that space for people to define evolved masculinity for themselves, of uh, what it means to be that man, that their behavior will flow uh, more productively for all. Because it's like no one is articulating their values as I want to be an asshole and I want to be lazy and I want to be isolated. It's like, no, we all have these aspirational developmental values and things that we want to aspire to. And so if we're creating spaces where people can do that deconditioning and that articulation of the authentic self, not only on their own, but a rite of passage that allows people to do that within a group of men so that you have a group who is witnessing you in this articulation of your evolved masculine and what you are aspiring to so that you're not doing this alone, but you're doing this in a community of people who are also doing that, that that is the community that I think is going to be most accessible to all people because we're not articulating or directing you of what you need to be. We're just creating the space and inviting you to take advantage of that opportunity to claim your masculine, your personhood, and then to fucking get to work and contribute in the world and do that. And you see other men around you who are doing that on their own terms as well. And that's the upward spiral. And so the evolved masculine is that. The evolved masculine is someone who is clear about who they are, um, how they want to serve in the world, and actively taking action uh, over and over again to create that version of themselves in the world that they want to see. I love that. And I, I like hear it. I, what I get and what I hear is the simpleness of if you don't know where you're going, Right. It doesn't matter what you do or which way you go. And if you don't know where you're going, whatever you do is just going to be like, in a way, chaos or random. But once we decide, and the way I, I kind of think about it is once we decide who we want to be, the kind of man which I love, it's like, you're like, that's your choice. Right. You get to decide the kind of man you want to be. You get to decide the kind of father you want to be, the kind of partner you want to be, the kind of con the contributor that you want to make. Like these are all choices that we have to make. You've created a structure in Junto that helps people answer these questions. But once we know the answer to these questions, you know, waking up every day actually becomes so much easier because you're like, oh, I, I know who I am. I know what, if, if I'm like this, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know how I'm supposed to act with my partner. If I, if I drift off course, I know that I can come back and apologize and clean up and like get myself back in alignment. I really relate to this as, um, is like integrity. You can't have integrity if you don't know what you believe in and what you stand for. There's no such thing. But once you say, hey, this is who I am, this is what I stand for, this is what I believe in, this is what I'm up to, 
you can go, someone you could say to me, bro, you're, you're out of integrity, man. You, you say you're a loving father and a caring husband, but you're never with your family. Right. And it's, and, and so I, I really see that and agree with you that we have to, that most of my years, I should say, spent as an asshole was because I didn't, right? My, I identified as an asshole. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what I was here for. I didn't know my purpose. So my actions were just like wacky and wonky in the moment, right? Just based on however I felt at any given moment, I behaved, which is very, which can be okay, but it's also very childlike. Is that, you know, adult temper tantrums? <laughs> I mean, I, I oftentimes provide this example is the vast majority of the men who come on our retreats are, are entrepreneurial in some way. And for many of them, they have their own companies, they, they're, you know, working in executive roles. And so the, the idea that they would be operating a company without a mission and values is unthinkable. And it's like, it's like one of the first things that you create for a company. And why do you create? values. Because if you're going to have employees, you need to have some compass that drives their behavior of, hey, here's who we are and how we operate. And without those values, there's no mechanism to evaluate and drive our behavior in the direction that we want it to go. And so the exact same would be true for ourselves. If we aren't clear about what our personal values are, then it's very difficult to evaluate whether our actions are aligned with who we know ourselves to be and who we want to be in the world. And so again, it, it comes back to that identity piece of it, it can be very appealing to focus on strategies, to tackle uh, momentary challenges and opportunities that are in front of us. But it really is taking the time to do this deeper work to understand not only who we are, but who we're not. Because so many of us, you know, again, have, um, have really been a, a proxy to this inculcation from society. Like inculcation just means it's it's basically cultivated from culture. It's like things that we see about what it means to be a man through pop culture. It's what were the the experiences that we had with our friends growing up through middle school and high school when so much of our identity is developed. It's from, you know, our relationship of what do we see our dad doing in the world? And for for most men, it's like what they see their dad doing, not doing again, defines what it means to be a man. And so uh, this deeper work of, of who we are and, and what we're not is, is sometimes foreign for people to take that time. I mean, you and I were talking before we even started the podcast of both having this kind of moment in our lives of clearing the decks and starting some new things. And like, there's this rush to do and do and do. And that's the thing that's going to, um, to really kind of move us forward and alleviate any sort of anxiety or uncertainty that we have. But, you know, a lot of times going in, looking back is truly the most valuable work that we can be doing for driving our lives forward. What's the challenge? What's the biggest challenge that you find in getting men, if there is one for you, like in getting men to say yes to men's work or Junto yeah, I, I mean, I think that the the biggest thing is just asking for help. It's that like if you are signing up for a workshop, if you're signing up for a retreat, if you're seeking coaching, I think one of the hardest things is that, again, we've been conditioned as men not to ask for help. It's asking for help is a sign of weakness. Other people know more than I do and we're stacking ourselves up. And so it's getting across that resistance that so many have uh, um I think asking for help, sharing that they have a desire for connection. They don't have the level of friendships or connection that they want in their life. It's that they're feeling depressed or stuck or like they don't know how to move their life forward. And so I think that that is probably like one of the biggest thing is that we've just been conditioned not to ask for help. And when you, when I look at all of the most successful people in my life, again, when you look at these transformational moments where things started to work for them. It was when they just realized that they can't do it all their own. It's that they start to ask for help. They get coaching. They, they sign up for workshops. They start having more meaningful conversations with their friends. So it's really that thing. It's just opening up to that reality that like we can't, we don't need to, and it's just not as effective to do it on our own. And, you know, I think that providing a lot of material that really shows the type of people who are doing this type of introspective transformational work makes it easier 
when you see the entrepreneurs and the celebrities and the influencers that we respect who are open and honest about their journeys of challenge in their own life and how they've been able to transform and transcend, you know, I think it's, it's so helpful to bring other people into the space. And so it's, you know, truly, I think a, a rising tide raises all boats kind of thing when we, when we're able to not only do this work, but to spread visibility for it, which is why I appreciate opportunities like this to talk about it. Um, because again, it's when I, when I think about my own men's work journey, it's why I started doing this is because I had an experience where I started to study uh, a communication framework called Gestalt communication. And it was for someone who led workshops and keynoted on communication and interpersonal dynamics and giving effective keynote presentations. I always dealt with a really significant amount of social anxiety and shyness and limiting beliefs and tension. And even though I loved uh, socializing, it was always a very draining activity for me. And uh, I had this experience where I was given the opportunity to just be fully and transparently myself in a group of people. And it was in that experience of not trying to be anyone or packaging myself that I found myself not only feeling better, but impacting other people the way that I would like to with so much less effort. And my desire to start my first men's group was creating an experience like that for eight men that I deeply loved. And even in a group of my best friends, providing a simple container where we could simply just become present to our intentions, our curiosity, and what we were feeling in the moment. I'm, I'll never forget it. We ended that first men's group and my buddy, Neil, just, uh, I have permission to, to tell a story here, but he just kind of pauses for a moment and he says, I feel so much less alone. And every other man in the group says the exact same thing. I feel so much less alone. And mind you, this was in a group of eight really close friends who are already on their personal development journey. But having that opportunity to be completely ourselves and honest about the challenges of our lives was cathartic, connected, and deeply transformative. And so I think that fundamentally, that's what so much of this is for me, is creating spaces where men can come together and share the raw, imperfect, unfinished version of themselves. Because for the vast majority of us, like we're just holding back so much and we don't have the spaces to share that. And so much of men's work is not just the opportunity to share that, but also the opportunity to witness and hold that for other men, because it's not just about our own evolution and ascension. It's also about being of service. And so creating spaces where men can do that really of service to hold space for other men to, to do that, to have that experience of being holy and completely themselves is, uh, a gift in and of itself. Yeah, I've had the ex I've had such similar experiences. We had a I started recently a, a virtual men's group, and we opened it up to twenty five guys to start, and we filled it pretty quickly. And it's just free, like free, right? You're only the required. There were some agreements, like the way you talk to each other. We gave some guidelines that, and you got to show up a certain amount of times to be in. And first meeting, every single man. I think we had twenty guys for, show up for the first meeting, and every guy shared. And, uh, almost at the end, we gave an opportunity. Does anyone need support with anything? And guys could like pair up and, and go every guy, yeah. asked, every guy asked for support, every single one. Um, and the net, the second meeting, the guy, so the, some of the guys, so there are some new guys and some guys came back for the second one. And the guys all talked about how it changed the course of their day that, that, that simply, and when I say shared. You know, we had 20 guys this hour long. Most guys, their share was a minute, two, three minutes, right? They're like, this is what's going on in my life. This is what I want to, you know, this is how I'm feeling about it. And the guys were like, it just felt like the weight was like off my shoulders for a moment. And I was able to be more present and show up and be more calm. And even in the second meeting, a guy shows up and he says, all day long, I, I was trying to avoid coming here. And he, and he goes, and then I got myself here and I was like, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to say anything. And he was the last one to share. And he said, just being here, listening to you guys all with whatever's going on for you had all that frustration, all that anger, all that intensity that was on my shoulders go away. And now I want to share. And, and I, I'm, I'm blown away by how little it takes, right? Like it, it takes a lot to get guys there. 
But once we're there, it's it's so it's like it, it feels um, actually so available and so easy to be, to be of service to each other. Yeah, this is one of the frames that I talk about often in in social flow is that uh, I would say that the vast majority of people who deal with social anxiety or shyness, you know, they have these codependent patterns. They're people pleasing. They're trying to externally validate themselves by being liked or fitting into groups, and so. Um, oftentimes it can be really hard to do things for ourselves. And so if you think about just communicating authentically, sharing authentically, that feels like it's very much about us. But what I believe is that when we care, like I'll make this more practical. So Alex, uh, what's your best friend's name? One of them. Oh man, my best, one of my best friends, let's say Bob. Okay. So Bob, uh, do you want Bob to feel like he can be completely honest and himself around you? 100%. 100%. How can you truly send that message to Bob if you are not willing to be completely honest and truthful yourself first, right? And, And basically for anyone who's listening, if you were to think about that, do you want your friends to feel like they can be completely honest and authentic with you? And if you want that for the people that you care about, I don't believe that there's any way to, to authentically convey that message unless you are going first. Yeah. And that's why when we share transparently and authentically, it truly is an act of service in and of itself. So long as we care about other people and their ability to express themselves, but that this is the, the experience that we have at every one of our retreats. I, I talk about you know, someone ripping off the Band-Aid. And there's always one guy who has the courage and is available to really go there first and to share something that is real for them and challenging. And when a man is sharing something that is real and challenging for them, uh, it is a gripping experience and you cannot look away. And whenever that happens, you feel the pressure valve in the room immediately get pulled. You feel the man relax into their chairs and you feel the space that is available that, wow, we really can be ourselves here. And it's amazing to watch that happen. And I think that when we're, when we hold that, it really does transform our authenticity into an act of service wherever we go. And it's much easier oftentimes to do these things that we want for ourselves when we are connected to how they are fundamentally of service to other people and the ones that we care about. And so I, I really think that that frame of authenticity as service is a helpful one for, for cultivating the type of behavior and communication that we really want. Do you, so we were talking about before we hit record, I had shared with you that I just picked up uh, Connor Beaton's book, Men's Work. And, yeah. and you, you shared with me that you're, you know him and you're friends with him and you're writing this book, Social Flow. And I'm sure there's, there's going to be a book in me at some point on, on the topic. And I'm curious, based on this conversation, I haven't, I haven't even thought about this before. Do you think a book can make the difference that like the work group, the work we're doing together can make, or, or is it like, we need to still be in this work together, the book, you can't like get the book, you can't get these books and be still be alone in your house. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there is really transformational wisdom that is available in these books and insights that can be instrumental. But again, uh, there's so much research that talks about the power of community for reinforce, for reinforcing positive behaviors. And if you look at where so much of healthcare is moving these days, it's in what they would call communal healthcare models, where you enlist communities of people who are struggling with different types of disease, whether that is diabetes or obesity. And what you do is you create cohorts where people are committing to the types of behaviors that they need to commit to together, because Mm -hmm. when they have a community of people that are also making those types of decisions and living that type of life together, they are exponentially more likely to sustain that path. And so what I think is that, again, if you're a guy who's curious about this and you pick up, you know, like leading from the core, John Wineland's book, or you pick up Men's Work by Connor Beaton, you're going to find some stuff in there that will rock your fucking world. 
But if you then go out and your homies are just at the bar and hitting on women and being degenerates, like it's going to be very hard for you to be the type of person that you are in the world. So I think that the wisdom and the insight is such a helpful part of it. But finding communities and people who are living the way that you want to live is one of the most uh, fundamental things that we can do to, to reinforce these behaviors and these habits that we want to express in the world. Yeah, I love that. I want to speak to what that, that I think something that I think gets a lot of people, men afraid, but people in general, when they go through transformation, this idea that I have to leave those people behind, like the, the people that I was friends with and something that I, cause I have this exact experience, like my life continues to go in an outstanding direction. And I surround myself with people who are outstanding. And I don't mean like they all make a lot of money. But their energy is outstanding. Their, their attitudes are outstanding. They're positive. They're helpful. They're loving. They're kind, right? They, they want to support each other. And when I think about my life, I'm like, well, no wonder, right? Because I've, I've cultivated this community and I continue to cultivate it. And I've noticed that sometimes, you know, there's friends that are part of that, right? They're still totally. at the bar or whatever. And I shared with somebody recently, because somebody who was afraid to like walk away from their community is like, you know, I think of it as like a ship that sometimes I can pull into port and I can go and I can go into that local bar and hang out with that person who lives at that port and have my connection and have that thing. And I can come back and get on my ship and go back on my journey and that you actually can have it all. It doesn't have to be one way of living is bad and one way of living is good or one way is serves and one way doesn't. But you can cultivate the life that you want, that you have it all. Sometimes we just don't have it all at the same time. Sometimes there's moments where we pause and, and, and get off our boat for a minute and have a different experience. Um, but at least I noticed that that comes up a lot with like, well, if I'm trying to be around new people, what about the people that I care about? It's like, well, you don't have to throw them off the ship and let, you know, you can find new ways to cultivate those totally. relationships. Yeah, 100%, man. Um, I want to ask you too. So you are your dad. How has this work changed and shifted your relationship? I forget. I forget. A son, a son right? You have a son or daughter? Yeah, I have a five-year, a five-year-old son who hopefully you okay. can't hear him playing with Hot Wheels in the background. I cannot hear him. Um, okay, but I how can. is this? <laughs> how is this work transitioned? Let's just say how you are as a father. Versus how you yeah. may have been as a father had you not gone on this journey. Great question. Um, so my dad and I have always had a, a lot of love between us. Um, I think that what this work has done for me more than anything else has inspired and held me accountable for living a life of living my truth and seeking it in the world, of being really honest about my experience and sharing that transparently without story. And so much of seeking truth also meant uh, seeking to understand the truth of the people who I care most about. And on this journey, uh, I really had this awakening of realizing that I didn't feel like I knew my father. Like I had a relationship with him, we loved each other, but the depth to which I knew my best friends, it wasn't even close that I had the same level of depth or understanding for my father, uh, for someone who's contributed and given so much to my own life and well-being and happiness. And so um, I went on this, this wild journey. Right? I started by writing down every question I've ever had from my father uh, that I never asked him. And I started to ask those questions. And as I asked those questions, a lot of hard conversations came up and uh, making this story a little bit more summarized, I ended up discovering some really disturbing things about things that my father has done in his past and also really awful things that have been done to my father. And these were things that happened in the realm of sexual abuse. And uh, I'm actually not in a position to talk so at length about it because of relationships with people who are there. But um, when I discovered a lot of these things, uh, it was wild actually where I had an opportunity, I had a, a crazy moment where my, my father is 87 and he got diagnosed with COVID 
uh, two years ago. He was in the hospital. He was on the brink of going on a ventilator. And I had learned some of this wisdom about things that he'd experienced in his past. And we had not yet discussed it together. And I remember having this opportunity to fly, rush to Alaska where he lived to try and have a conversation with him. And I was thinking on the plane, am I going to bring up these, my dad may die. He has about a 50% chance of survival before he goes on the ventilator. If he goes on the vent, 50% chance of survival. So I may die. And when I think about cultivating a relationship of truth, what I've always said is like, I want my dad to know that I really do understand and know the real raw version of him and that I love him. And so I had this opportunity to evaluate, am I going to really share some of the deepest, darkest shit I've ever uncovered in my entire life in this moment where my father is physiologically incredibly weak? Um, or do I hold on to it and hope for the best that he comes around? And I remember I, I made the decision that it was more important for him to die knowing <laughs> potentially that I was going to share these things I knew about him. Um, and that I loved him and, uh, and it was a really powerful moment. And he, I sat in that hospital for the next three weeks and, uh, he ended up coming off of the vent and we were able to have a full clearing and to come back into connection and not only to feel like we were deeply connected to the realest version of each other, but for my father to be able to share parts of himself that he has never shared with anybody mm -hmm. in his 87 year old life. And I remember uh, coming back to some of my friends and it was, it was, it was the, I would say the thing I'm most proud of in my entire life in that moment, because what I felt that I was doing was generationally creating space where that type of transparency can exist for me and my son. And I think that what is so powerful in the realm of men's work is doing this work with our fathers is really being able to try and create the relationship with our father that we would hope for our sons or our daughters, right? For our kids. Yeah. And I think that my, my mentor in the world of coaching, she always said, if everyone just fix their family, we have world peace. Yeah. And it's the, it's the lab, man. It's where so much of our, our trigger, our patterning, uh, you know, our subconscious wounding lies is in those relationships. But truly, I think that that's also, you know, some of the ripest territory for transformation. And so for me, what this work did was really held me accountable for living a life of deep, deep honesty, which is correlated directly with integrity and transform my relationship with my father and has created space for a relationship with my son where I, I can really hold that same level of transparency that I hope we will have for the rest of our lives. You did something when we were, when I was at the retreat with you and you shared, you shared the story with me and with, a, with the people at the retreat. But, um, one of the things that I really appreciated about it was I really love the concept of somebody can do something horrible and we can still love them and it doesn't make what they did. Okay. Yeah. Right. That we're, and that in that, even in you didn't necessarily say you forgave him because it wasn't necessarily like a thing he did to you, but it was that even I see it like that too, right? We can forgive someone and it doesn't make the thing they did okay. It doesn't mean we approve of it. It doesn't mean we are yeah. like sign, right? And, but I think that's, that is such a powerful distinction because that's first of all, so hard. It speaks to who you are as a man and what you're committed to, which, which is why I like love doing the work with you. Um, but I think it's just such a powerful moment in the world where people are so afraid to love each other based on the things that we've done. I can't love this person because they did that, or I can't love this person because they did that. And if that's the case, we'll always have a world where no one loves each other because we're all human and we all do terrible things, right? To, to, there's, a, there's a spectrum and a, and a polarity of it, but none of us are perfect and we all make really shitty mistakes throughout our life and some to worse than others. But if, if we can't love each other, despite the things we do, then it's like, what's the point of being like, we got no chance. Um, yeah. Anyway. And it's oftentimes hardest, but I mean, it's a lot easier to criticize and to judge, you know, than it is to, because, but does that really cultivate change in the people that we're criticizing or judging? And I think that, you know, so much of culture today is really around 
this type of criticism and judgment without the desire to really understand and change people's minds. Because it's like, if we're just talking shit about people and judging and throwing comments around, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it says so much more, I think about us than it does with the other people. And, um, but if we really want to change people's minds, like it, it has to start with understanding, right? Finding common ground. And it's, it's much deeper work to do that. It, sometimes it takes more energy, but you know, we were just talking about dealing with trolls online before we started. And it's like, I had an experience with someone recently where I, I had been holding a relationship very carefully and watching my communication in a way that was really intentional and through the lens of nonviolent communication. And I remember having a really conscious experience of oftentimes in this relationship, I experienced a lot of criticism and judgment. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to meet them where they're at for a second. And I just responded with a lot of snark and sarcasm and returned with some judgment and shit talking. Um, and it felt good for like five minutes. And then afterwards it was like, that's not, that's not me. That's not that, you know, it was like, it's this idea of wanting to remove the, the pressure valve, but it's just, it doesn't make us feel good sustainably to other people down. Like yeah. it just doesn't. Yeah. It's a really tricky, it's a thing I, we talked about this, this thing I'm navigating at the moment, which is like this in between of not having people like walk all over you and do whatever and create right. boundaries and like having a like back off. Right. And, and yeah, I, I'm a hundred percent agree with you. Cause there's an asshole in me that like want that like wants to get on the playground and just like go at it. And I know like it's, it feels good in the moment. It gets my heart going. I get, I get excited, but yeah, like a little while after I'm like, that's like not who I want to be. That's not who I'm committed to. Okay, or, or right, it just consumes me where I'm like, ooh, I want to do it again, right? It's like an, almost like an addictive outlet that's also yeah, not- Well, high. Yeah, yeah like what I'm that's, to. That's, that's how those behaviors work, right? Is that they are momentarily pleasurable, but then we have to do it all the time because we feel like shit afterwards. So we yeah. just do it again to fill the bullet. <laughs> all right. I've, I know we got to wrap up because you got to be somewhere. So I have one question for you, and I just thought of this, and it's kind of spontaneous. I don't know how you're going to answer it, but it's about me. So I just partnered, right. and I want you to answer as honestly as you can, because I don't often get okay. this opportunity. So I participated in your retreat. I felt like I, I did the best I could do in, in, in the experience, not that we were getting a grade or you're judging me, but I tried to be my best self and show up as powerfully as I could and as honest as I could. He's okay. He's totally fine. Um, and... What would you, right, like as the facilitator, what feedback do you have for me um, in terms of like my growth, my, like, what do you see for me? Totally. I, I think that what I would put back there is just to reflect in the early moments, what was helpful. And I mean, how much of your experience do I have permission to share here? Well, everything, whatever you like, want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, okay, I would cool. love it. Yeah. It's a big, a big, a big aspect of any of these containers is usually confidentiality. It's, you don't want to share things in there without explicit permission. So, um, early on when you commented, we did our first kind of circle on our check-in and you had talked about, I believe being, uh, what's the word, um, you, you really didn't feel like you were getting anything new for yeah. you. So you were, uh, what's the word that you would have used in that moment? I don't remember if I said frustrated. I know it was impatient. Yeah. I was like, come on, come on, come on. Impatient like, was the word. That's, that's what I was looking for. It's like, yeah. I feel impatient. Like I want to get into something that is new. And so I think again, like that for me was, was actually quite helpful to understand where you were at. So I think that being open to that challenging, right? Because I think that oftentimes it's like when we're sharing a feeling of impatience or frustration with someone else directly. We're afraid to rock the boat. Uh, but for me, that was really kind of illuminating just to understand where you were at and able to connect with you there. Um, and I think that you, you spoke about your own experience to me of just, again, of allowing yourself to adopt the beginner mindset, which is that like so often, and I think that I do the same thing. It's like, when I go to a retreat, I'm just like, okay, I paid thousands of dollars to be here. Uh, when am I going to get the thing that pays for the thing, you know? And 
it's it's a natural way of thinking about it, but also I think a lot of times can allow, can foster just not allowing things to sink in as deeply as possible. So it really is just reminding ourselves like you did the value of retaining the beginner mindset of not needing to know it. And oftentimes it can engineer a feeling of confidence, right? To come in with what it is that we do know, our own skills, like how we do it differently, but that adopting that beginner mindset. I just wrote about this this week of, I was talking to the talent lead at Andreessen Horowitz, one of the top VCs in the world. And I said, what do all your most successful founders have in common? And she said, growth mindset. It's that mm. they don't allow their imposter syndrome or ego get in the way of their ability to learn and soak wisdom out of every experience and implement it really quickly. And so I think just remembering that, which you did, but just reflecting like what I thought was important for your own journey throughout the experience of how to be a beginner and adopt that, knowing that it's going to facilitate, you know, a deeper collection of wisdom for you. Thanks, Ben. Totally. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't harsh. You didn't, you didn't blow up my, <laughs> I was like, when you said, when you just said a minute ago, how much permission do I have? I was like, oh man, what is he about to give me? What, 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 what gold is he about to drop on me? Um, yeah, it's, um, well, and to keep having the hard conversations because that was a big unlock for you. Yeah, there were some great, you know, you, there were some, we, without like, you know, going into all the details because we got to wrap up. There were some, there were some things we did that felt really, that for some people felt really hard and for me felt really comfortable, like I've done it. And then there was one yeah. converse, there was one conversation specifically that I think you're referring to that, yeah, I didn't like, no, I was like, I was, I was a clear, like, I'm not going to not have this and I'm not going to do it. I was like in this purgatory of, I don't know how, and I'm really afraid. And it was really yeah. cool to, what I love, especially in the community and it speaks to a lot is it wasn't you who solved my problem. It was the group of guys like rallied together and supported me to see something for myself that had me then go take action on that thing. And the result was great, right? It's not like my life is like so different, but it's like the energy of that thing is totally gone. I don't have, I don't, I'm not carrying that around. And that was, that was energy that I, I didn't need to be leaking. Um, yeah. Anything you want to say, anything you want to say, last word to wrap us up? You know, I would probably just send a message out there to anyone who's listening and who's made it to the end of the show. It's, I think if you made it this far, it's because you have an interest or someone that's connected with you in some way. And I would just reiterate again that one of the most valuable things we can do to accelerate uh, growth in our own lives, in our professional lives, is simply to realize that it's just more effective and more fun to not do it on our own to jump into communities and experiences of other people who are doing this. And so it's even if you don't feel like you're, you're challenged or stuck in your life, but again, it's opening ourselves up, which is something that we have not been conditioned to do, to ask for help, to seek guidance, mentorship. It's one of the most beneficial things that we can do, not just for ourselves, but for the people that we care about. And so, you know, whether it's Alex's retreat, whether it's Mankind Project, whether it's Junto, it's like there are more and more of these experiences that are opening up and that are speaking to men in different ways. Um, so long as you're not going on like Andrew Tate's like King Collective or whatever that might be. Uh, push back on that. Uh, it's just give it a whirl. See what it's like. Experience it for yourself. See who you really are. Ask some big questions. Encourage people you care about to do it. And uh, excited to see where it leads. That is Andrew Horn. Uh, where can people, should people, well, first of all, people should go to tribute.co and you can make some incredible videos for people, you know, and love, whether it's like a thank you video or birthday video or anything like that. They're awesome. And every time I see someone get one, they're like full of tears and overwhelmed. Uh, if people want to connect with you, if they want to, it's uh what's Junto's what? Is it just Junto? J-U-N-T-O. We, we Junto.com is where you want to go to check out our retreats. We've got a couple coming up. We've got uh, Joshua Tree in April. We've got Austin in May. We've got New York in uh, July. So it's a fun stuff happening there. And then go to tribute.co, gives one of the most meaningful gift on earth. It's a whole lot of fun. Uh, if you're a founder, entrepreneur, interested in both unlocking, you know, 
full potential at work, in your life, in your relationships, manifesting real confidence and great communication wherever you go. Um, I work with a select hand of entrepreneurs. Um, you know, I've got projects that I believe in. So uh, feel free to reach out and uh, just cheers to you, brother. I'm very excited to see where things take you on the the road of men's work and just believe in you and what you're doing and, and how you're showing up in the world and like feel a real deep integrity, which is just so fundamental for like anyone who's doing this, but to see you leading from where you're leading from, it's I have uh, such confidence that you're going to have such a powerful impact and I'm excited to see what develops. Thanks. Well, thanks for modeling, powerfully, powerfully modeling leadership, integrity, love, power, strength, wisdom. Um, it was being with you for a weekend with all these guys. Uh, it was one of the most powerful uh, examples of leadership I've ever seen. So uh, thanks for thanks for giving doing that right, giving me something to to grow into and to learn from and to experience. It was it was incredible. Um, to the listeners, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Please share this episode with somebody that it would make a difference for. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream, and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.